Welcome to The Fully Lived Life, a podcast for those who are longing to pursue the full life and want to break free from anything that holds them back. Listen in as two friends, a psychologist, Dr. Mary, and a life coach, Jillian, talk about life, love, and purpose through the lens of faith, science, psychology, and life experiences. Oh, Jillian's cringing. I'm cringing. I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Because we're talking about how to avoid the cult of self. Yeah. And we're going to like, ooh, ask questions, but we're also going to ask them of ourselves. And they're a bit ouchy-wouchy. They sure are. <laughs> yeah. So, listen, that's because we're being Lucy Stella, and Stella the at lab this rats. point. We're going to lab rat ourselves. There is no cheese today. <laughs> it's all shock treatment. I know, right? <laughs> you know what? This is how we grow. <laughs> Maybe what? that's my tattoo. See, I don't have any tattoos, people. Yeah. I have. So as an Enneagram 8, when yeah. people tell me to do something, yeah. I automatically dig my heels in. Yeah, yeah. So Mary and Wendy have been trying to get me to have a tattoo for years. And I just said to them, the more you push me, the more my heels dig in. Right. But maybe this is where my tattoo is. Maybe it's, this is how we grow. <laughs> this is how I grow. Okay, there you and go. I have to remind myself. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So we're back in the book Insight uh, by Tasha Yurick, and she's talking through the chapter of the cult of self, uh, which we were kind of talking about more generally. Yes. And now we're going to get more specific about us. Right. So most of us don't think that we're narcissistic. And you know, when we're talking about narcissistic personality disorder, where it's actually creating dysfunction in our life, luckily only 4% of us meet that criteria. But what if we're one of the 4% though? Well, then you need to come see me. <laughs> <laughs> the bad news is that the remaining 96% of us will display some narcissistic behaviors. Yes. So, and the other thing too is that in her research, yeah. Um, they were seeing like a 30% increase in classes in Harvard yes. of university students mm-hmm. in displays of narcissistic behavior. Yeah. yeah, That's scary. We are getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see this around the world. You of can see it more can. objectively in others. Harder to see in ourselves. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what does she do? She actually puts a questionnaire in there, a self-assessment in the appendix uh, on narcissistic behaviors. Right. So I'm going to read off some questions. Okay. And there's only seven. Yes. And it's on a scale on one end, uh, well, you pick one versus the other end of it. Right. So number one, I think I'm a special person. Or number two, I am no better nor worse than most people. Are we answering out loud here? <laughs> what do you think? Well, I'd like to think I'm a special person, if I'm going to be really honest. I actually fall on this side, the other side. Mm. Yeah. That's my inner critic speaking. Yeah. You know, I was thinking this. Yeah. Because then she goes on to talk about the inner critic stuff. I know. Stuff. So, so I'm just being hey, honest. Hey, there's no escaping anyone. I know. Number two. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, you read it. I like to be the center of attention. Or I prefer to blend in with the crowd. I like to be the center of attention, but in some circles where I feel very safe. Right. Well. So this is where I can do the caveat. I know. To everything. I know. So I'm like, I'm just going to go with number 2A. A. 
Okay. What about you? Well, I would say the same thing. Sometimes it depends on my mood. I do like to be center of attention when I feel like I'm like, you know, got it all together. Okay. Okay. She's she's doing the shoulder <laughs> shimmy. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But there's times where I'm just like, don't look at me. Right. Don't talk to me. So. Okay. Number three. Oh, <laughs> 3A. 3A is I like having authority. The other side is I don't mind following orders. Well, we stay quiet on this one. <laughs> no, I, I, like, I have to think what's most like me. Yeah. And 3A would be most like me. Yeah. There are some situations where I just take orders and do it mm-hmm. um, and not make a big fuss because it's not really a value to me. Right. But... When I ha- like, this is how we can justify things. I know, right? <laughs> you can so, talk yourself through see, all of this. This is the problem. We I know. Can, we can all justify our answers. Okay. The question is, I like having it. It's I not, like it. Of course. Okay. Don't we? Don't we like it? Yeah, I like it. And I don't mind following orders. Well, I would say I only like to follow orders I agree with <laughs> <laughs> from people I trust. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, number four, I always know what I'm doing, versus sometimes I'm not sure of what I'm doing. Oh, 4B for sure. For sure. Me too. And this one I've been very honest about because yeah. I can feel my myself start to overheat yeah. <laughs> and break into a sweat when yes. I feel, yeah. especially when I'm in public yeah. and I feel like I don't know what I'm doing mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm exposed. Right. Oof. Okay. Number five, I expect a great deal from other people versus B, I like to do things for other people. I'm on the fence with this one. Right. I expect very little from people I have to be. But I think that comes out of my dysfunction. Not like I I think I do things for people sometimes for my narcissistic feel good. (laughs) That's very truthful. (laughs) But I also think you're right. Mm. Do I like to do things for other people or I do them because Mm. I want to control the outcome? Or I want to look good. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Right in the solar plexus. Number six, I'm an extraordinary person. Versus I'm much like everybody else. Oh, that's 6B for sure for me. See, for me, I'm in between. I I don't like to think that I'm like everybody else. But I don't also think that I'm extraordinary. I think I'm just me. Yeah, I know you can sit on the fence on a few ones, but it's hard. Number seven, I am more capable than other people. On the other side, there's a lot that I can learn from other people. Um, As I grow older, I am... 7B. Yeah. I'm getting like, I'm less and less capable. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm more, I'm more realistic about my capabilities. I think so. I think it also depends. Like in my area of, of competence, I do tend to think that, I mean, I've been around for so long yeah. that I am more capable than some other people, maybe not all other people. But I also, as I'm getting older, I'm more open to learning from others and more willing to admit that I don't know it all. You know, I, I seriously, I mean... I think seven mm. comes with, hopefully it comes with maturity and wisdom. Right. Right. You don't want to be that crotchety old person who is not teachable anymore. That's mm-hmm. just, ugh. Yeah. But wow, I wish, like this is why we talk about teachability so much, mm-hmm. because I wish I had been more teachable earlier oh, on. Yes. Like really? I know. What took us so long? Oh, ego, <laughs> stubbornness. 
Well, I think it's also insecurity. True. Fear. Fear. Yeah. Self-preservation. Yeah. All those things. Self-presentation. Is Self-presentation as well. Tasha Yurik yeah. talks about. And I've, I've said this before, like when our shadow self shows up, Ugh. it's not that we want to kick her to the curb no. right away. It's like she shows up for a reason. Yeah, She's protecting reason? us. Like there's some fear or shame or insecurity that's been triggered. So... I think I just let shadow self have way too much control over my life in those days. Yeah. And, I and mean, she still shows up. That's right. And I think as you're, you know, as you're growing in your knowledge of yourself and self-awareness and insight, these are processes that really can't be rushed. Right. And hindsight is twenty twenty in this. Because right. we can all look back and go, wow, I wish I had more self-insight or self-awareness back in those times. I would have done things differently. But really, would we? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know. But I mean, that's part of our growth, right? Yeah. That's that's like moving past the woulda, coulda, shoulda and kind of like, how have I learned or grown from that? Yeah. And how can I move forward? How can I move forward? That's so right. you can tell from this questionnaire, like both of us are feeling kind of ouchy in it, but you can see narcissistic behaviors yes. that uh, maybe you can more objectively see it in other people than mm-hmm. in yourself. But like, you know, take a look at this questionnaire. Or and, you can justify your narcissism. Yeah, well. <laughs> right? Like, we, like we were both just doing. And by the way, if you're all on the B side of this, don't be so proud of being not narcissistic because you may have gone the other way of being such a harsh inner critic yes. that it's self-abnegation. Yes. And I don't like that. Yes. Which has a narcissism in itself. Yes, it does. Yes. It actually has a, a false humility and false pride. Exactly. Which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Ugh. So, okay, now that you face the reality that <laughs> 96% of us have some form of narcissistic behavior, while 4% of us have full-out narcissistic right. personality disorder, she suggests three different strategies to help you become less narcissistic, less self-absorbed, and more self-aware. So the first one, she says, is to become an informer. Oh, yeah. So this is really interesting in the mm. age of social media. So she said that the study shows that we spend up to 60% of our time, of our talking time, talking about ourselves. Oh, and when we're on social media, that jumps to 80% of the time. So if you look at your social media and you're talking about yourself a lot or you're showing pictures of your life, all cultivated mm-hmm. for a certain image, then consider that there may be some self-absorption going on. Right. Now, I know, see, part of what, when you are doing things that have a public-facing front, like yes. you and I do, uh, I know a, a lot of times you think that part of building your brand so that you can have more followers and therefore you can be more successful in your business means that you do have to show up as who you are and all of those kinds of things. I get that, but I think that when the focus is always on that and there's one picture after another picture of another picture that's a a carefully cultivated image of you Mm -hmm. and then underneath it you say something like, I am so privileged or I'm so humbled to say thank you for this opportunity, then you can tell that that's some self-presentation happening there. Because what research has shown is that self-awareness unicorns actually spend most of the time focusing on others and they use social media to stay connected, to be curious about others or to inform others. That's what she said. So you know, be I, an informer 
versus a me former. I found that that part of the book so fascinating mm-hmm. because she talks about these informers who are using their socials to educate, encourage, yeah. um, equip others. Yeah. And, you know, you would think that because they're not cultivating their image that they would post less, but she actually says they post more. They do. Because they probably think, oh, this could benefit this audience or this is great insight. I'm going to share this. Right. Because they're other focused. Mm -hmm. So they're thinking about how the information and knowledge that they're garnering Mm -hmm. is going to help others. Exactly. Really fascinating. So this is not about doing less social media. It's just about the focus of your social media. That's right. Switching from, so research have shown that 80% of social media is me formers. So they like to post messages that are all about telling everyone about what's going on with them. And that only 20% are informers who tend to post non-self-related information, like like you said, helpful articles or something funny. Yeah. Um, they tend to actually have more friends and more richer, satisfying interactions with people. Because when you are showing up on social media, you are more authentic, including being able to laugh at yourself. Yeah. Um, including like... You know, being able to be vulnerable or not all polished in what you're saying and doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's fascinating. So become an informer is one strategy. The second strategy uh, is about cultivating humility. Yes. And there's no question that humble people are objectively more successful because their focus on other people make them more liked and respected. Uh, They tend to work hard. They don't take things for granted. And they admit when they don't have the answers. Right. Right? So this goes back to that cult of self where you're special just because you exist in the world. Right. This group of people who are humble, Mm. they work hard and they don't expect just to get the promotions and everything just because of who they are. Right. It's because their hard work and their dedication and their growth. Right. And as leaders, they don't expect people to follow them by virtue of their position. Right. It's actually because they've built relationships that they are clearly for their team. Yeah. As opposed to it's all about power and authority. Right. Right. So like like they don't have all the answers and they're willing to learn from others versus stubbornly clinging to their views. Yeah. So as a result, people on teams with humble leaders are more engaged, more satisfied with their jobs and less likely to leave. So if you're a leader... And you've got this revolving door with people are constantly leaving. Absolutely, there could be circumstances that relate to finances and well-being of the organization, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things to think about is, is it possibly because you need to be more humble and more other-centered? Because the research shows that people are more engaged and more satisfied and have a greater likelihood of staying. Yeah. Mm. You know, I'm just thinking as you're talking there about... The book by uh, Dr. Henry Cloud called Integrity. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the wake that you leave, Mm -hmm. right? I love that And the question is, like, what is, you know, when a boat goes through the water, Mm -hmm. they leave a wake. You know, I like when you come into the harbor, it says no wake. You're not supposed to leave a wake because you're supposed to reduce your speed, um, go slow, Mm -hmm. pay attention, Mm -hmm. and 
you know, the faster you go Mm -hmm. and the more reckless you are, the bigger the wake that you leave. Absolutely. So the bigger your circle of influence, those of you who do have uh, followers on Mm -hmm. social media or you're in a position of leadership, you even need to be more humble because of the impact that it has on far more people than you realize. Yes. And so you have to be even more uh, conscious of what you say and do. That's right. So that's why, like, who wants to be a leader? It's not that easy. No. It requires so much humility. So the virtue of humility is actually often the exception rather than the rule in our cult of self-society, both in the world of business and outside of it. Um, And she talks about three reasons for why humility seems to be not that popular. Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, uh, people often confuse humility with low self-worth. And so they label that as undesirable, uh, even though the opposite is true, because it means appreciating our weaknesses, being aware of our weaknesses, and also of our su- keeping our successes in perspective. Exactly. Um, so it actually is a necessary ingredient for self-awareness. Uh, the second reason that humility is in short supply is that to gain it, <laughs> this is the toughest one, we have to tame the powerful beast at the epicenter of the cult of self, which is our ego. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Our ego drives so much of why we do what we do. And then the last thing is humility requires accepting a certain degree of imperfection because most goal-oriented type A people rarely give themselves the permission to do so. So there is a questionnaire here that is uh, in her appendix to determine your level of humility. Okay. And there's nine questions on a scale of one to five. And I'm just going to read it really quickly. So one is very rarely, Mm -hmm. two rarely, three sometimes, four often, and five is very often. Right. And so uh, just kind of pull a piece of paper or just mentally do the math. So number one, I seek feedback, especially critical feedback. So is that one, very rarely, or five, very often? Number two, I admit when I don't know how to do something. Again, rate yourself on one to five. Three, I acknowledge when others know more than I do, which we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Number four, I take notice of people's strengths. And number five, I compliment others on their strengths. Number six... I show appreciation for others' contributions. Number seven, which is a biggie, I'm willing to learn from others. Number eight, kind of in the same vein, I'm open to others' ideas. And number nine, I'm open to others' advice. Wow. Right? So if you rate yourself on that, a score of one to two is very low. And a score of three to four is moderate, and a score of five or above is high humility. Mm. And if you're high in humility, people will see you as down to earth, easy to work with, and it actually does give you an advantage because people enjoy working with you. And you also have the ability to not flip to the other side, which is self-abnegation, because that is not helpful, because self-abnegation is a form of false humility. Right. And that takes you out of the 
field altogether because you're saying, well, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. So then when you should show up, when you should be brave and do the hard thing, you're using that self-abnegation as an excuse to step back. Right. And that's not a word in our language, abnegation, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a, it's a word that's new to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you unpacked that because a lot of people won't even understand what that word means. Yeah. Because it's not in the, like the vernacular. Yeah. That's, that's true. And uh, if you grow up uh, in uh, any faith tradition, um, especially the Christian faith, we are taught about humility, but almost always it's kind of like you're a worm, uh, self-abnegation type language. So, uh, oh, no, no, no. It's, It's not because of me. It's because of God. I know. And it's not that if you're a person of faith, God isn't a part of it, but that you actually also are part of it too. Yeah, you're gifted. You have talents. You have strengths. Yes. You know, you can do the work. Right. So, and then the last thing she says is practicing self-acceptance. So rather than self-esteem, which means you're thinking you're amazing regardless of what Uh reality is saying, self-acceptance, which also can be called self-compassion, and we've done podcast episodes on that, means understanding our objective reality and choosing to like ourselves anyway. This is so key. Yeah. I I like that she's stressed that like ourselves anyway. Yeah. Well, it's back to what we talked about in the last episode about being loved for who we are uh, and valued for who we are. Uh, versus on our performance, that's really, really important. But then it doesn't mean that we're thinking we're so special and like just destined for success and fame without putting any effort into it. So it's being able to say that we are accepting, we're objectively aware of our strengths and weaknesses. And we look at our weaknesses and we still choose to like ourselves anyway. So self-accepting people understand and forgive themselves for their imperfections. And self-acceptance also, actually, the good news is, it delivers all that um, self-esteem is supposed to um, deliver, um, which actually often is happiness and optimism. Mm. Because people high in self-acceptance hold positive views of themselves uh, that aren't dependent on external validation. I- it's huge. Yeah. It is so huge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the cult of self in terms of social media mm-hmm. goes off the rails. Right. Is because of those dopamine hits mm-hmm. that, you know, the the likes and the followers and all of that. And there's a lot of research about that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not making that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where we go off the rails with it. Yeah. Yeah. And we chase it because it's addictive. Exactly. And then when our sense of self is based on that, it's it's a very shaky place. So how do you practice uh, self-acceptance? And I think we've talked about this before. You mm-hmm. listen to our episodes on inner critic. Really, it's just monitor your inner monologue. Like what's going on? What are you saying to yourself? Well, she says, go for a day, mm. <laughs> for a day. Look at what you post on social media. Mm-hmm. Look at what you're drawn to on social media. Mm-hmm. And how much do you talk about yourself? Yeah. Or think about yourself in a given day. Right. Right. Like, that's scary. Right. Because we all think that we're not doing it a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think if we were to be honest with ourselves about it, just check in with yourself. Right. And on the flip side of it, <clears throat> that self um, dialogue, is it always critical? Mm-hmm. Is it beating yourself up? 
Is it, um, you know, you're trying to be honest with yourself, but you're actually doing it in a way that's destructive. That's right. Because in a study of leaders, those who use self-accepting language were more effective, more created, creative and less stressed. So here's a really good question to ask yourself. When your inner voice is going on and on and on and on, would I say what I just said to myself to someone I liked and respected? Of course not. Right. Because I hear your inner dialogue because oh, you say it out loud. And I do the same thing, I say too. say it out loud. <laughs> you do, actually. <laughs> I really want to hear myself. Yeah. So I say it out loud. That's right. So the more committed you are to building self-awareness... Like, you wouldn't think the two come together, but self-awareness also means that you're going to have more empathy and grace towards yourself. Yes. Because you can only grow in this environment of grace. Like, if I'm beating myself up, I, I give up. I can't even change in this area. Why am I even trying? It's that growth mindset. And that's that defeat defeatism, right? Yes. Where you're self-defeating. Right. So the good news <clears throat> is, or the bad news is, we're all pretty narcissistic <laughs> yep. or have some behaviors of it. But the good news is that if we continue to practice becoming an informer versus me-former, <clears throat> we practice true humility which is accurate self-awareness, including our strengths and weaknesses. And we practice self-acceptance, which is even when we mess up, we still like ourselves. Then we can actually do a lot to combat that meanness. Me, uh, what did she call it again? <laughs> well, the... Cult of self. Cult of self. <laughs> Thank the you, meanness. The meanness. The meanness. The cult of self. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. And I'm practicing self-awareness or self-acceptance because I am okay with the fact that I couldn't come up with the word. <laughs> so that's part of getting older, right? Yep. So wow, that was good. Yes. Yeah, so good news, bad news. Bad news, good news. Let's just kind of keep working on it. Yep. Sounds good. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fully Lived Life podcast. We hope you found it encouraging and helpful. Be sure to follow or subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. And if you enjoyed our show, please help spread the word by sharing with your friends and family and posting on your social media. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode.